God. Hey, can one more time we give our hand for Jesus? Just honor the Lord together in this place. Come on. Hey, I want to welcome everybody watching online as well. Thank you for being part of Cultivate Church through the internet. Hey, everybody, you know what? I love celebrating all the good things that God's doing. Baptism today, the presence of God in this room. Did you guys know that just this year alone, 37 people have said yes to Jesus at Cultivate Church? Come on, that's what it's all about. I think we ought to celebrate that together. Look, it's a good day. I hope you're ready because I'm ready today kicking off this new series called The Smell of Smoke. I hope you've got your notes ready. Grab it out of your outline or digital note takers. You can open up the app on your phone. This series is going to be a really challenging series for us this month, so I hope that you're ready because we're hitting the ground running pretty hard today. And just to give you the context of this series, we're just going to go straight to our key verse in Jude chapter 1, verse 23, and here's what it says. Rescue, underline that word, because that's pretty key to the heart of this whole series. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to steal others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. This month, we're going to do a whole study of the book of Jude. Uh, you can go home and study it yourself if you want to get ahead of the game. It's just one chapter. The whole book is one chapter. So you can be like, yeah, I'm really going to press into the whole book of Jude. It's, it's one chapter. And uh, so you can catch up on that today. But in this book, we're really going to break down week to week the heart behind the reason that we're on the planet. Did you know that when we get saved and say yes to Jesus as believers, it would be much easier if it was a Star Trek moment and God just said, all right, beam me up, Scotty. We're headed home. Like, he's mine now. We're ready to go. But the Bible says that God left us here for a purpose and for a reason. Jesus said to go and to make disciples. In other words, our responsibility is to go and to replicate Jesus on the earth to bring people to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. The Bible says rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. You and I are on a rescue mission every single day. You may not have known this, but you are an everyday hero. Every day that you get up and you represent Jesus, he's calling us to be those who go and rescue those who are in danger. I thought it was pretty amazing. Many of you probably saw this in the news last year of the pizza delivery driver that saved that family out of a burning house. He saved four kids on a random night. Uh, he said that he and his girlfriend had actually been having an argument and a fight, and he's one of those that just leaves. Any, anybody, don't raise your hand, but some of you are just like, I'm out of here, you know? And so he just left, and of course he said he had to clear his mind, but I bet he left some rubber behind when he left the house. You know how some men, you know how we do. But he was just so frustrated, left, and he said, I just got to get out of here, I got to clear my mind. And as he's driving his car, he sees a house and it is completely consumed in flames. And without thinking, he parks his car and he runs into this house, pizza delivery outfit and all, right into this house to find four kids are in this house. Mom and dad were on a date and these four kids were home with the older sibling babysitting. He gets in there and gets three of these siblings out and there's one left and he runs back into the house has to rescue this child, jumps out of the second story window onto the ground, taking all of the punishment to save these kids. I can guarantee you that when he left that house, his pizza delivery outfit needed to be dry cleaned because it smelled just like smoke. 
You see, every day that you and I get up and we go about our business and we live our lives and we do our thing and we go to our places of work and you go to the grocery store and you do all the everyday mundane things that all of us do and it doesn't feel very important, but at the end of it all, the Bible says our role is to be rescuing people from judgment, from the flames of hell. Everybody look. Here's the reality. One day there is a judgment coming. We will stand. And the difference between heaven and hell, the Bible says, is if we knew Jesus, accepted Jesus, and Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? Obey me. Did we live out what Jesus told us to do? So when we recognize what's happening in our world, and as believers, if you follow Jesus, our responsibility is to rescue others every day heroes. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to begin this journey through the book of Jude of understanding what God's calling our role to be and how to do it. I titled your message today, The Smoke Detector. You know what a smoke detector does? It gives you an indication that something is happening. Every one of us, we are living, breathing smoke detectors. We should be going off everywhere we are saying, hey, look, you need Jesus. You need the hope of the world. You need the saving grace of Jesus in your life. And so today, we're going to go through seven verses of the book of Jude, and we're going to learn three things that I think are going to help push us into doing what God's called us to do. So look, let's pray, and then let's ask God to speak to us, because look, we just need Him today. It can't be our opinion, our thoughts, or our feelings. We're going to get God's Word to speak to us, so let's ask the Holy Spirit to do it. All right, Father, we love you. Thank you for this wonderful day, your presence in this room. We thank you for this word that's going to challenge us. God, it's going to equip us. It's going to motivate us. It's going to convict us. But God, I pray that we take a step closer to you to be more like you and to represent you well, to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So a code red. Why do we do this? Why is this important? Why do we feel the need to spend this month focusing on the smell of smoke, how our lives could smell of the smoke? We're so close to rescuing people from judgment. Number one, we need to understand this, urgency. Write down the word urgency. It's urgent. Eternity is waiting. Every single second that we sit in this room, somebody loses their life across the world. There's an urgency of eternity. And God wants that urgency, that feeling of eternity waiting in us and our role to rescue others to be prominent in our life. Jude writes this book, and in verse 1 he says, I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. I put verse 1 there because I want you to see the context. He says, I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father. So these would be believers, people who have a relationship with Jesus. So those of us today that claim Jesus, he's writing this to us. But then in verse 3, it changes the tone. He says, Dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation that we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else urging you, underline that word urging, urging you to do what? To find this statement, defend the faith, underline that. To defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. So you've got Jude writing this letter to other believers and he says, hey, I really hope that I could write this letter to you and we could talk about all the fun things that God's doing. I really wanted to share with you all of these amazing stories about what we saw God do over here. I really wanted us to get together and have a potluck. You know, we, church people, everybody grew up potlucks. Like, I really hope we could all bring a covered dish and sit around and talk about our kids and talk about the fun things that we're doing as our families. But instead, I feel the need that I have to urge you to defend the faith. 
One translation says to contend for it or to fight for the faith. I have this urging in my heart that we don't have time to sit around and to talk about all the good things. We don't just have time to sit around and just celebrate and do all the things that we enjoy. But instead, we've got to be urgently defending this faith that we have. Now, you don't defend something unless it's under attack. Nothing gets defended unless it has some opposition against it. And here's what I know. I know that in the time that we're living, that our faith and our culture is in opposition between each other. I know that the enemy, the Bible says, come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's working really hard, pressing in, trying to steal what God is doing. And what we're being prompted is to rise up as the church and to recognize that we're not just here to have everything be about us. We're not just here for God to answer my prayers and to give me more things and to bless just my life. But he says we are here to fight and contend for this faith. So I want to ask all of us who are believers today, who follow Jesus, can you defend your faith? Can you give a reason for the hope that you have personally in Jesus? Write down this reference, 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 just simply says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. You see, most people are not going to ask you to explain a Bible verse to them. Nobody's going to ask you about deep theology. Nobody's going to say, hey, can you explain all of the candlesticks and can you tell us about the 15-headed monster that's coming back? Can you explain the rapture? Like, nobody's asking you those questions. But what they will ask you is, why do you spend your time believing in the Bible? Why do you trust in a God that you've never seen? Why do you invest your life in that? Why not, why not just do what you want to do? Why not just do this over here? Why not just have a self-help experience? Or why not this or that? But see, people can argue different things, but they cannot argue what you know to be true that you've experienced with Jesus. And many of us are scared to death to have to answer the question, of why do we have faith in Jesus and what did Jesus do in your life? But it is so easy, guys. Every one of us had a life before Jesus. And think about where you were before Jesus came into your life. And then think about where you are today after your experience with Jesus. That is your story, your experience of Jesus. That is the urgency in which the world needs to know. It's that simple to go, well, I, I don't know all the answers. None of us have all the answers. But I love the simplicity of Scripture that they would come and ask people who'd received a miracle from Jesus, and they wanted them to explain it, and it would just be like, you know, I don't have any answers to your questions. But here's what I know. I was blind, Jesus showed up, and now I can see. The difference in being blind and being able to see was Jesus and Jesus only. So the answer is Jesus. I can't explain it all to you, but I can tell you, you need Jesus. Jude is writing this book. It's named after him. And he's actually the brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He's one of Jesus' brothers. And like some of your siblings, it's a very common, very same scenario. Because the Bible tells us, write this down as reference in John chapter 7. It says that even Jesus' brothers didn't believe that he was the son of God. I mean, you think about it. Your sibling goes, hey, I appreciate you know, what you're doing there. And um, 
uh, you probably want to back off because uh, I'm the son of God, and uh, I'm the one that's going to return on a white horse, and uh, so you better be good to me. And they're like, all right, Jesus, okay. You know, they saw the fits that Jesus threw. They saw the times he got grounded. They saw the spankings that Jesus got. Come on, he was human like all of us. He had to grow and learn just like we do. They didn't believe Jesus. But then in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, write that down. The Bible says that when all of the people were gathered together and they were praying and they were seeking God, it specifically tells us that Jesus' brothers were right there in the middle of it. What happened? What happened to Jude? Just like many of us to go, well, I don't know all about that. I don't really know. Is that really? You know what happened? He had a life before and he saw his brother go to the cross, die, and he saw his brother resurrected. And he said, okay, I guess he's right. Count me in. Anywhere you go, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. Because I do know that this was my life. And then Jesus stepped in and a miracle took place. And here I am today. Sign me up, whatever you say. There's an urgency for every one of us to be able to take what Jesus has done and take it to the world because they are waiting on us. Eternity weighs in the balance. Everybody, heaven is real and hell is real. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. The B-I-B-L-E, is that's the book for me? A stand alone in the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. It's the only book that has lasted and stood the test of time. The only book. The authority of God's Word is what tells us that this is important and this is urgent. Why is it urgent? Because of this word. Number two, write this down, fallacy. A fallacy is a mistaken belief or an unsound argument. It's, it's, a, it's a belief that is built on something that is false truth. And what I know about the time that we're living in is that we're living in a world that has a lot of fallacy. That people are building their lives on unsound, unfounded truth. How do we know? How do we know what truth is? Because the Bible's the standard. And if the Bible says it, then that's what it is. From the beginning to the end, we don't pick, we don't choose. And the problem is that our culture around us is building this life of sin based on personal subjective belief. And it was happening here. As a matter of fact, Jude warns us, look, he says, so I want to remind you, hey, everybody, believers, I want to remind you of something. Though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. But later, he what? Underline this word. Destroyed those who did not what? Remain faithful. I think you ought to underline that as well. And I want to remind you of the angels who didn't stay within the limits of authority that God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for a great day of what? Judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah for their neighboring towns and the neighboring towns, which were filled with what? Immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. These cities were not celebrated. They were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of what? The eternal fire of God's judgment. Here's what... Jude is trying to tell us, everybody, if, if we, it's the old statement that those who can't remember the past are what? Doomed to repeat it. And you have a moment in time where Jude is looking at the church and he's going, everybody, we can't get lost in this. We can't begin to build on this fallacy that everything about our life is just subjective and the way we wanted it to be. These people didn't stay within the limits of God's authority. 
They didn't stay that way. They didn't lean into what God's truth was. They began to build their own truths to live it out the way they wanted to live it. And the Bible says that those people were destroyed. That there's a judgment that's coming. We have built this theology in our culture that just says God is a God of love. And a God of love will do anything he wants to do. That you can do what you want to do, and as long as you don't hurt some, anybody and you take care of yourself, then everything else is okay as well. But that's not what, that's not what Scripture says. It says the people of, of, of Israel, what do they do? They cried out to God when they were in trouble. God rescued them, set them free, and then they mumbled and they complained and they groaned about everything and they were one way today and one way tomorrow, and the Bible says that those people were destroyed. Even the angels in heaven that didn't stay under what? God's authority. That God was the rule. When they didn't obey what the Lord said, they spent eternity in judgment. People in Sodom and Gomorrah, all the sexual sin, all the sins of the day, the Bible says that they found themselves in destruction. Here's what we know. We know that we have to lean into this right here because of what God is doing in our lives. It's a fallacy. Look at Jude chapter 1 verse 4 right there. It says, I say this because ungodly people have wormed their way into their churches. Look, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they denied our only master and Lord Jesus. This fallacy is people coming in. And it's the subjective truth. Here's what I know about this to be true. Is that subjective living and subjective thinking... It leads to chaos. Some of you are sports fans, you know, where you like throw a ball around, try to score some points or do something like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you are into that sort of thing. Imagine if, if your favorite sports teams, they're, they're, they're facing off. They're in opposition against each other. They, they've got a goal to destroy each other, and one thinks they're right. They're more prepared. They've got it going on. You're wrong, and they're right, and they're out there battling it out, right? Well, somebody, you know, gets knocked down, and somebody says, hey, that was a foul. I said, no, it wasn't. Well, I feel like it was, so I need you to, you know, let me try it again. Somebody said, well, he hit me too hard. No, he didn't. I didn't hit you hard enough. Well, I feel like you did. And then everybody out there, they can't determine what's going on, which way's up, which way's down. But you know what happens? There's a third, there's a third team in the midst of that game, and they're called referees. You know what I'm talking about? The people you gripe about in the leopard, you know, the, the zebra suits. You know what I'm talking about? You see, they're in the game, but they're not of the game. You see, they're there as impartial people pointing the way to what is true and what is right. You see, they're not there to serve any of you. All you armchair quarterback yelling at them, making them feel bad. They're not there to serve you, okay? You see, at 345 Park Avenue in New York City on the seventh floor, there's a man that sits behind the desk, and he runs the league. And you know what he did? He took the rule book, and he gave it to those people of authority. And he says, regardless if everybody cheers you or if they boo you, regardless if they like it or if they don't, regardless if it's your favorite team or if it's not, you have to stand there and go by the book. And if the book says it, that's what it is. If the book says it's a foul, it's a foul. If the book says that you get to do it again, then you get to do it again. But what is in the book? It's an absolute truth. And the culture says just define it and do it the way you want it. But you can't live that way. Because we know that there's some ungodly people worming their way in, trying to make us live these immoral lives. And here's the problem, is that the enemy knows just enough. But a partial truth is still a lie. A partial truth, just something that has some substance to it, 
is still alive. And when we buy into this fallacy and these unpartial truths, then we begin to live a lie. Satan will convince you. He'll convince you that everything is okay. And then once he convinces you of something that is false and has replaced it as truth, it corrupts the life that we live. And then once we're corrupted by it, the enemy has captured us. He's got us exactly where he wants us to be. That's why this is so urgent for us to live this out and to know the truth. So I want to ask you this question. Not only can you define your faith, can you defend your faith, but do you know the truth? Is it based on truth of God's word? Not feeling, not emotion, not, not what you hope it to be, not what we've dreamed it to be, not just what somebody has maybe told you it would be, but, but based on God's word. Because Jesus said it's the truth that what? Sets us free. Truth, absolute truth that sets us free. And not just because I told you. You don't take anything in here 100% just because it comes from this platform. Look, we do our best, and, and we're following the Lord, but here's the deal. I may make a mistake and say something that's not right, and you may be in your word that we go, hey, I don't really think that's what the Bible says. And you may say, hey, listen, let's talk about this. I, I'm not quite sure. And we may say, you know, absolutely. Thank God you were in the word this week, and you caught that because you know what? We're all doing this thing together, and we all have a responsibility to live a life urging on purpose rescuing others, getting close to the flame so we smell like smoke because of the fallacy that's in our culture. And then number three, that lives to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I gave you this overview of Jude, of what was happening in this context of these verses, of the sin that was happening. And what I want you to see is that because of the fallacy and because of the unfounded statements that they were living on, and because of the unfounded truth, that's what led to this way of living. And the problem is, is that people can see and smell a hypocrite from a mile away. You know anybody like that? You got some people at work that, that gripe about you because you don't work hard enough and they're over there eating donuts and playing on TikTok. You know what I'm saying? Like we all, none of us like a hypocrite. But the issue is, if we're not careful and we buy into all of the things of culture, then we'll begin living that under the banner of Jesus. We'll get on, we'll get on you know, Facebook and write a strongly worded you know, post about. And we'll start spewing all this stuff out. And we'll sign it, you know, you ought to know Jesus. We're so mad about it. Jesus will change your life. We're, we're just frustrated. We're ugly. We're rude. Our face is sucked in, you know, upside down or something. Like it, it doesn't make sense. And the problem is, is, is the world's, they notice this. Jesus was different. Everything Jesus did, the way he lived his life, everything about Jesus was different. And people saw it. People recognized it. And because of the difference in the time that he lived, people were attracted to it. Look, we can look at the world, and you can see how upside down and crazy the world is. They need something different. So we have to be careful as believers that as we're living our life that we understand What's in the balance here? Because if when it's embraced, just like the Bible says that these people were judged and that these people were destroyed, well, look, here's we, we think God is, is like this God who just wants to punish people. And we picture God in heaven like he's just here to make our lives miserable. He's just a mean God. But that's not what God's doing at all. God just knows there's a better way. My son's into roller skating right now. I think that's the new trend, right? We're bringing roller skating back. I don't think so, but he likes it. He's got these cool light-up wheels on his roller skates. He's, you know, he's, he's got it going on. And, 
He wants to roller skate in the street in our neighborhood. And uh, I've seen some of you drive, and so I don't think it's a good idea. And, uh, you know, you got people, you know, flying through the neighborhood, and they're on their phone. You know, I'm like, hey, buddy, listen, I I don't think it's a good idea. Why not, Dad? Because I can roller skate good. I'm good, Dad. I said, yeah, buddy, you know, you're okay. But, um, but it's those people driving the car. Yeah, Dad, but I can, I can dash out of the way, Dad, and I can spin over here. And I, well, buddy, you know, I get that. But, and he's six. He understands that most of you can't drive. But not you, the other people, you know, the 9 o'clock crowd. You know what I'm saying? Like, he understands because he'll say, Dad, they don't know how to drive. And I'm like, you're right, buddy, they don't. And so I'm trying to convince him and help him to understand that it's not the best decision. Could he do it? Probably so. Is he as good as he thinks he is? Absolutely not. (laughs) Could we do it? Maybe so. Are you as good as you think you are? Absolutely not. But he's looking at me like I'm just a fuddy-dud. You ever heard of a fuddy-dud? That's a fuddy-dud. Somebody trying to break up the party. You know, every party has a pooper, and he thinks that's me. (laughs) But Dad won't let me, he won't let me roller skate the street. I mean, (laughs) how many of us are going, God, why can't I roller skate the street? It makes me feel good. And I want to do it at night time so everybody can see my wheels. <laughs> and God's going, hey, I made roller skating rinks for you. It's a perfect circle, hardwood floor. Even got, you know, you know, one of the walkers. And with... But we're arguing with God about stuff. And then here's what happens. We go, well, God... I know a little more than you know, and I think I can do it, and I feel a lot better when I skate in the street at nighttime when my wheel's glowing. But the Bible gives us some stern warnings, and as believers, this is why this is so urgent. just want you to write down this reference, Matthew 13, verses 40 through 43. It's just a story of basically Jesus trying to explain to us what's at stake here. And he just says it's no different than than a field of wheat with weeds. And they understood that back in the day because that was very common for them. And he said, hey, look, your field over there, you're trying to grow all that wheat so you can harvest. And what happens when the weeds come in and try to choke it out? He said, there's a separation. He said, you pull the weeds and they're burned away. And then you pull the harvest of what is right. He said, there's going to be a day where there's going to be this separation in this world where I'm going to pull the wheat And I'm going to pull the weeds. And that that's ready for harvest will be harvested. And that that is not will be burned away. And so we try to say, well, that's not a God I want to serve. That's not a God I want to follow. That's not the God I read in the Bible, the God of love. Well, if you love your kids, you correct your kids. If you love your kids, you say, well, I don't care what their mama said, but you live in my house and you're going to do my rules and this is what we're going to do. We don't talk that way in this house. We don't do that in this house. And you're not going to do it out there either. Don't embarrass me when you're in public. Don't make me pull this car over. <laughs> and that's what our Father does for us. That's what our Father does for us. That wasn't God's design. God's saying, hey, you may think the road is good, but let me show you the roller screen. Let me take you to the park where you got all the enjoyment. He's a good Father. So believers, here's our charge today is that it's an urgent time. There's a lot of misinformed information, a lot of fallacy in our world. 
And the reality is it's causing, even in our churches, a lot of hypocrisy, hypocritical living. And our churches, our churches can't even stand anymore because they don't even know what they believe. So for us, in this culture and in this time, if we're going to contend or fight, defend that faith, we got to be close to the flames, smelling of smoke, rescuing others into the truth of who God is. And that's my prayer for us today. Today was just to encourage us to see the weight of what our responsibility and our role is left here living life on purpose. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes with me. I want to pray for you today. And a couple things I want to pray for that I think would just help us all begin to just take the right steps. So if you're a guest, nothing weird or funny is going to happen. Our team's just coming back. If you're online, I pray for this to be just a a moment for you in the Lord, just to eliminate any distractions that you have. And number one, I would say, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, don't miss this opportunity. I want to pray for you that you could make that decision, that commitment today. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. You don't have to have all the answers. I don't have them either. But I can tell you the difference that Jesus makes in your life. And then maybe we're here today and you do follow Jesus. And we get so caught up in our day-to-day and the mundane that we just forget that we're the smoke detectors. We're the ones to be sounding the alarm, the smell of smoke on our lives because we're so involved, so close to the last minute rescuing others that need to know. My prayer today is that we would be able to define our faith to really know our story, why we believe what we believe, and to be able to live it out in an authentic way. So Father, today for anybody here that doesn't have a relationship with you, for anybody watching online, right where we are, I pray that in this moment we would recognize the opportunity that we have to say yes. So Father, we pray you forgive us. We've sinned, we've messed up, we've fallen short, and we need you. So we choose to put you first in our life. Thank you for forgiveness today. And God, I pray for all of us that as we continue to live our life on purpose, that we do it in such a way that would be honoring to you. May we smell of smoke because we're right in the midst of the battle, that we rush into danger to snatch others from the eternal separation. God, we want to make heaven a bigger place. So let us see it in our everyday, on our jobs, in the grocery store, in the schools. God, in every aspect of our life, may you be at the center so that people would know that you are who you say you are. You can do what you say you can do. And if we build heaven and make it a bigger place. Father, we love you. Thank you that we get to be a part of doing that, that you'll use us to make a difference. We'll give you all the credit for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Can we celebrate Jesus today? Come on.